The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Let's pray. Uh, Yeah, Father God, uh, Lord, just thank you for this family. Uh, Thank you for the day. Uh, Lord, I just ask that this morning that we can just listen to your word and just be eager to pay attention to it. Lord, I just pray that um, it may convict us and it may shape us in our hearts, Lord, because it is sharper than bone and marrow. Lord, I just thank you again, and I pray, um, as Randall speaks this morning, that it would be your words, Lord, not our words, Father. And Father God, I just pray that as we live out the gospel in our days, Lord, that we can just be meditate on your word and the message given to us by what you gave to us, Lord, today. Uh, so yeah, thank you. Amen. All right, well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Okay, so if you've got your Bibles open, we're gonna be going through Titus 3, 1 through 8 today. We're gonna be continuing in this series that we started at the beginning of the year called Crafted by God. And what we have talked about is the, the life of the church, being a part of a local church, and that through the body of Christ and, and learning more about uh, Jesus, uh, God crafts us. He, he makes us different people than we were before. And so what we've been really studying and looking at is different ways in which God crafts us. And we've been studying through the book of Titus. And today, the message is this. As we read through this text, it's crafted by authentic humility. Authentic humility. Um, humility is something that is attractive to us. Uh, Not too long ago, I started doing a spin class, and I really didn't know much about spin. And so I went to the instructor, and I said, can you teach me where to start? And his name is Bob, and he's an older guy, and he's very fit and very kind man. So he takes me aside, and he says, okay, let me get you fixed on this bike here. Okay, here's the adjustments. Does all this stuff for me. Says, okay, sit on the bike and, and test it. And you start, you know, I start doing the, the spinning, and, and I was all set up. And so we went into the class, and he's like, okay, drag that bike in the class, and then we'll, we'll get started. And so we started, and there, there was a ton of people in this classroom that were taking spin class. And here's the thing that stuck out to me about Bob. Not only did he take his time to get me set up, he learned my name. And then he also, when somebody came in and saw that there were no more bikes left, and he's on his bike, he says, 
hold on, don't leave. Take my bike. I will do this class without a bike today. And I, my, I am here for you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to make sure that you guys are taken care of. I don't know about anybody else in that room, but for me, when I looked at Bob and I looked at his life, I said, humility, humility. And I am taking spin with Bob every time. I'm bought in because his humility stuck out to me. It was authentic. It was real. And so Paul today is encouraging Christians to have this authentic humility that, that draws people in and says, what is it about that person that's different? And so Paul gets real here and he starts in verse one and two. And here's what he says. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Paul encourages believers to, number one, be submissive to rulers and authorities. This is government, police, your boss, submissive. He also is, is saying, okay, not only that, but be obedient so he's, he's almost saying, okay, let me tell you a different way of submission is being obedient because I got to get this one through. Be ready for every good work. He's saying you need to prepare to do good works, to speak evil of no one. This word for speak uh, evil is, is the word for blaspheme. So tear someone's character down. Avoid quarreling. This is not being contentious or starting arguments. Be gentle to show perfect courtesy toward all people. This is equitable. This is fair. This is, as you look at people, you treat them all with kindness and fairness, no matter what their background or who they are. We've already got this, right? We don't need to go through this passage today. We've all got this. You're like, check, 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 check. No, it's not, it's not like that. When I read through this passage today, I say, Lord, help me to be like this. Because in many ways in my heart, maybe on the outside, I might have it, but not on the inside. See, God is not after just our behavior. He is after our motivations, the deepest parts of who we are. So let's take this off the page for a minute. And you might have already been doing this in your mind. And let's apply it to our workplace, our social media feed, politics, our neighborhoods, our community, our city. Now let's ask, how well are we doing with this? Because what he is calling for is an authentic transformation and change from the inside out. Sociologist Peter Berger has said for decades that modern society values the idea of dignity, identity as an individual, but has lost the idea of honor. This is an identity linked to our role in life and society. See, Paul is taking here the heart of Jesus, not just into how we personally relate to God or to other Christians, but he is taking this and saying, I want you to apply this to your everyday life. 
in how you interact with the world. A world that is chaotic. A world that many times you say, I don't agree with that. And say, I, I want you to learn to trust God in it all. See, in, in our genuine response should be this. Paul, this sounds great, but you don't understand my situation. You don't understand our world. That's impossible. I can't do that. God would have to do a miracle in my life for this to happen. If that's your response today, then that's really the response that Paul is getting after. It's not natural for us to do this, just like it wouldn't have been natural for the Cretans to do it because they lived under a ruler named Nero, who was a very evil person. And that's why Paul says, okay, I need, to, I need you to remind them. Remind them of this. They need a heart change and God's the only one who can do it. And so how does God craft authentic humility in our lives? Humility that can face a chaotic, disjointed world with this type of dignity and grace. Paul gives us the formula in today's text. You see, throughout the scriptures, the concept of humility is extremely important, but it is in stark contrast with the way our world naturally operates. Uh, in the book, Humilitas, ancient historian John Dixon says this. He says, in ancient Rome, Humility was a negative word associated with defeat. Humility before the gods and emperors was advised, but humility towards an equal was regarded as ill-informed. One of the prized virtues was love of honor. Academic research found that a humility revolution took place in the middle of the first century, not only because of Jesus' teaching. Jesus' crucifixion changed the way people understood greatness and humility. The cross of Christ was contrary to the understanding of greatness in the ancient world. Jesus changed everything radically. Psalm 25, 9 says this, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. And so what is biblical humility? C.J. Mahaney says this, and here's, I think, where it starts. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. In light of God's holiness of who he is, what he's done, his character, and that I don't match up to it. I don't have it. I don't have what it takes. You see, C.S. Lewis paints this picture of a, 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 what humility would look like in everyday life in his book, Mere Christianity. And he, here's what he says. He says, do not imagine that a really humble man, he will be uh, what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy, you gotta love the language, person who's always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you'll feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. And listen to this. He will not be thinking about himself. He will not be thinking about himself. Or he will not be th thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. 
If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell them the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And a biggest step too. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Again, C.J. Mahaney in his book, Humility, says, I'm a prideful man seeking humility by the grace of God. That's the formula. It's first understanding that I don't have it within me. And so it is God and his grace that helps me to become more and more of a humble person. And it's scary to admit that we're proud, isn't it? But that's the first step. And do you know where Paul starts today? He starts with everything that should destroy our personal pride. That should destroy our personal pride. Early church father Augustine once said, it was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. And so today that's what we're gonna look for. We're gonna seek after as God teaches us through his word. So our text is Titus 3, 1 through 8. Just to give some background, if you're just joining us today, we've been looking at this book and Paul and Titus had preached together on the island of Crete. And so it's about 146 miles long. Uh, People on this island responded to the gospel, the message of Jesus, that they were saved by God, not by their works or anything they've done. And a new church was formed. And during this time, the Cretans were ruled by that emperor Nero. Now, I don't have time to go into Nero's rule, and you should really look this up, but the legacy of his rule is this, debauchery, misrule, and anti-Christian persecution. And so it was a very contentious time in which they lived. And so in today's text, Paul reminds Titus and the believers in Crete of three ways in which God crafts us. So he reminds us of, I'll give you all three up front, who we were, who God is, who we become. Who we were, who God is, who we become. And so the first one, who we were, look at verse three. It says this, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So Paul turns from how we behave, right, in verses one and two, like this is what we should do, to how it's possible. And he starts with exposing the bad news about you and me. Look at verse three. He says, we ourselves once were foolish. He's saying that sin deceived us. Disobedient. He says that the sin in our lives made us disobedient. Led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. That it was the impulses of sin that directed our lives. Malice and envy. That sin desires more and more and more and it's never enough. Hated and hating one another. That sin divides and destroys our relationships in life. See, what he's saying is, when we read through this list, we should be at a point where we have no room for judgment and pride because this is who we were. This is what defined our lives. If I were to look back at my life, in many ways, this is what would describe it. 
see, before Jesus, that defined us. And what he's doing is he's searching under every nook and cranny in our hearts and saying, as much as we try to hide it, deep down, we were all defined by these things in our lives. We were ruled by sin. I think of this search like, very much like when I tell my kids to clean their room. We've got three kids. Um, my youngest one, who's four, she really has a problem with cleaning her room. She doesn't, she doesn't like, she, I don't know how to. She's fighting it. Older sister starts cleaning up the room. Um, brother knows how to do it. And so he, he's cleaning and, and they're cleaning. This week I told him, I said, son, you got to clean your room. Uh, I told the girls, you got to clean your room. So they go in there, they clean their room. And I'm walking around and from the outside appearance, it looks pretty clean. Like they did a pretty good job here. But then what happens is I looked under the bed. Oh, there's where all the candy wrappers are. Okay. Look under the chair. There's more toys and everything. It's just kind of spread out. Open up the closet. Everything was shoved in the closet. See, on the outside, it looks clean, but in many ways, it was not clean. In our hearts are the same way. See, some of us are still trying to clean up the mess and saying, okay, I don't really have a mess. It's not really there. But Paul says it is. We say it's not that bad. He says it is. So I want to give some quick warning signs of pride really quickly, just a little test, and we can work through it and just see if any of these resonate, okay? The need to be the center of attention. It's just this gravitational pull towards everybody's talking, but I got to talk about myself. I got to insert myself in there. I got to be at the center of this or it's not a good conversation. It's the one upper thing, right? I got, I, got, I got a better story than them. I'm actually thinking about right now a story that can be better than that one that they're telling right now. Being jealous or critical of others' success start going through our social media feed and saying, why is it them, not me? How do they get to go there and not me? Just jealous, critical, always have to be first or win, have a pattern of lying. It's not really lying, it's just to make myself feel better. Have a hard time admitting that we're wrong, have a lot of drama in our lives. And really, it's not other people, it's us, because the drama just keeps following. Have a hard time giving credit to others, get mad when others don't acknowledge our accomplishments, constantly compare ourselves to others to make ourselves feel better. See, those are just some of many things that we would say, I struggle with. And here's the truth, secretly, we all have sinful pride issues. It's our heart. And we can own up to it and say, yes, that's me. Or we can believe the lie. That's not who I really am. I'm not that person. See, Paul won't let us get away with that. He won't let us get away with, well, I would have never done that. He gives the death blow to our pride by saying, you don't, really, you don't realize how sinful you really are. See, that's the first part of the gospel message is that we are more sinful than we ever dared believe. Sometimes it scares me at how sinful I am. 
Yet, by the grace of God, there is good news. He gives us the best news ever. It's in the second point, who God is. Look at verses four through six. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, first it starts with this. Okay, we understand who we are, but who is God? What is he like? Could he love somebody like me? And the answer is, Yes, yes, the goodness and loving kindness of God has shown up. It's appeared. So much so that it calls God, this is the fifth time, and there's gonna be six times where it says God our Savior within the book of Titus. He wants to bring this home, that it's not us, it's God who has loved us and graciously shown us that he could love sinful people. And so what has God done? It says that he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. It wasn't us cleaning up our room. It it wasn't us making our bed, saying, God, look, I did it this time. Don't you love me? It's none of those things. But it's that God loved us because he says, I wanna save you. No strings attached. You see, that that message just sounds too good for me. How could that be true? That's when the gospel starts becoming real for you. It's when it hits your heart and you say, "That, that sounds impossible. Could God really be like that? And yes, he is. It's not by works done by us in righteousness. And Paul makes clear, he, he wants to make this clear like you didn't earn any of it. Nothing was earned by you. It was all earned by God. It says this, but according to his own mercy, that God is a merciful God, that he comes in and he says, I have mercy on you by the washing, regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, this is God's doing. This is God's work. This is God's renewal. God breaks through all of our brokenness and mess. He comes through and he meets us right where we're at. See, today, if you call yourself a Christian, let me tell you that that is a miracle. It's a miracle. And some of you say, well, I grew up in a Christian home and I just kind of have this boring testimony. I'm sorry, but there are no boring testimonies in Christianity. It is impossible to have a boring testimony in Christianity because of this. Because of verses like Ephesians that says, no, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive in Jesus Christ. That is a miracle. That should bring us back to, I am in awe of who God is. See, in some ways, I want my kids to have a boring testimony. But I know that every one of my kids who grew up growing up in a Christian home with a dad as a pastor 
I want them to know that it's a miracle. And because here's the thing, as a parent, I know it's a miracle because I've known them their whole life. And I can tell, like, okay, so my son got baptized last Easter. Uh, he's seven years old. He's eight years old now. And I am telling you, people from when they first met Kai, like when we moved here three years ago to where he is today, it is a miracle of God. I'm telling you, he was the craziest kid, man. He really was. And through prayer and just loving and loving and loving and showing what grace is, by God's grace, he said, and, and here's the thing, you ask him about, like we were playing basketball last night and he's like, ooh, I'm the gospel basketball player. And we're like, what does that even mean? Like the gospel basketball player. But that's what he is. And so <laughs> here's the thing. If you grew up in a Christian home, non-Christian home, it is a miracle by the grace of God that you, are, that you could call yourself a Christian, that you believe this. It is. It's a work of God. John 11, this, this is what we should think of. Okay, there's a story in John chapter 11. Jesus' friend Lazarus had just passed away. Uh, his sister, his Mary and Martha were just in tears. They're just so broken. Like how could he have died? And Jesus walks up. The burial already happened. He's already in the tomb. And Jesus just says some simple words. He says, Lazarus, come out. In verse 43. And you know what happens? Lazarus comes out. And everybody's like, oh, Jesus. When you become a Christian, the same thing happens in your life. It's God, it's through his Holy Spirit calling out, saying, whatever, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever your past is, come out. Come out. See, it is death to life. It is a miracle done by God. The third point is this, who we become. You can find it in verse seven, it says this, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I, I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So we're gonna break this down, but it's, it's who we become. The first part is very important. He says in verse seven, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs. Justified. You can think of it, about it like this. It's, it's that God would look at you just as if you'd never sinned. Just as if I never sinned. Justified before God. How, does that, how is that possible? It says, by his grace. Undeserved love towards you, placed upon you. Grace. If you, if you wanna hear a great message on grace, listen last week to Ryan's message on grace. It's truth. And so he's building upon this. And he says, by his grace. And so let me ask you today, what makes your life worth living? What justifies your existence? There's a book entitled Dignity. It's written by Donna Hicks. And here's a quote from this book. Now, this is not a Christian book. But here's what she says. She says, I heard recently about a man 
He was awarded a prestigious employee recognition award for his contributions to his company. By all accounts, the award was clear affirmation of his dignity. Yet when asked how he felt about receiving the award, he said that he still felt like a number, that he wasn't really seen or recognized for who he was. Without an internalized, listen to this, this is her words, without an internalized belief in his own worthiness, unless his wounds from the earlier imprints of his dignity were cleansed and healed, he would not be able to appreciate any validation of his worth from the outside, no matter how much recognition he was accorded. This is a secular book. This is somebody that's just looking upon a situation and saying that what he needs more than anything is to be cleansed and healed from his past. See, as Christians, we become people who no longer are justified by our personal accomplishments or our past or our hurts and pains, but are justified completely by the accomplishments of Jesus Christ, by everything that he has done for us. And he's washed us clean and healed us by his grace. It says that earlier by the power of the Holy Spirit. He does a miracle in our lives where we are no longer defined by our work, but his work. See, it's through the gospel that God crafts us. And so we get to verse eight, because we gotta understand that first part to get to verse eight. So the saying is trustworthy. I want you to, uh, to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. He leaves us to the end. Okay, so he's saying, okay, you gotta understand these things first before you get to the good works part. Now, what are these good works that he's talking about? Remember verses one and two? Remember that? As we read through that list? Be submissive to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Be ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy toward all people. He says, for those who believe in God, let that define your life. An authentic humility that just pours out of you, not because it's natural, not because uh, you just kind of regulated your um, outward behavior, but it's because God has changed you from the inside out where you become a person that is crafted by his grace and lives this out. It's because you believe in God. See, we're not saved by works, but we are saved for good works. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by what we do, but we are saved for good works. It will be a sign of who we are as Christians. And so as we're going through this series, May our church, may Grace City Church be defined by good works because of God's grace in our lives, because of who he has made us from the inside out. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 tells us this. Paul helps us along in understanding this. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, how does that happen? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
Sometimes we get so wrapped in the first part. Oh no, I need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I gotta get to work. No, 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 no. It's God working in you, changing you, transforming you, saying, Lord, I surrender. I need you to change me. And it's God uncovering some of those messy areas in our bedroom and saying, okay, that's an area right now that I gotta clean up for you. You can't do it. See, there are some things that my kids, they can't clean up for themselves. It's not because they can't get the cleaning supplies out and do all those things, but there are certain things that if they did it, it would actually get worse, right? It would get worse. And so God says, there are some things in our lives that if we try to clean up, it's going to get worse. So hand it over to me. Let me do that work. Trust me. And he's able to do it. And so just some takeaways today as we wrap up. How do we live every day with authentic humility? Number one is this, by revisiting the truth. Revisiting the truth. At some point, I have to look at the truth about myself. I must be willing to admit who I really am and not believe a false idea of who I think I am. Does that make sense? See, there's an idea, there's a persona, there's a way in which we want to put ourselves out there because we don't want people to see us and say, oh man, look at them. But we have to get to a place where we can be honest and truthful about who we really are. And what happens is it it transforms you. It transforms the way that you look at the world. In uh, Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says this. He says, um, before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, take the plank out of your own eye. And so for some of us, we think, wow, what, what was Jesus saying there? That's an interesting visual. It's just somebody with a plank in their eye and they're trying to take a speck out of their brother's eye. But what does that mean? It's this, that when you see your sin as a plank, and you see your brother's sin as a speck that you'll be able to see clearly in how to help them because it will humble you. And you won't come up with the self-righteous attitude in correcting a brother or sister. But it'll be very humble in saying, hey, I know, I, I can understand, I can relate. I know. And you will come with a, a, a winsome humility to the world because then you won't be surprised at the world too. We, 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 I remember I was watching a news channel one time and they had somebody talking about just how messed up our world is. And they brought some uh, different pastors and people on there to say, well, what is going on with our world? And there were different people that had different explanations. It was interesting even though they were saying like, I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, all these things. They had all these different answers. And then one guy said, you know what the real problem is? It's sin. It is sin. (laughs) That's messing up our world. And so when I'm able to humbly see that it's a brokenness that happened all the way in the book of Genesis, that's really taken our world into a mass chaos, then I can go into the world more humbly and saying, okay, Lord, teach me how to be like Jesus. 
Help me to, to be like Jesus. The second part is this, rehearsing the gospel. You gotta keep going over it again and again and again. We gotta keep remembering this idea of, okay, I gotta remember who I was. I gotta remember who God is and I gotta remember who I'm becoming. That's the thing that we gotta remember every day. We rehearse the gospel in our minds again and again and we are only saved because God is good and loving and kind. Gracious God. And the last takeaway is this, recommitting to the process. See, some of us have taken grace and we said, okay, God's given me grace, he saved me, I'm good, but there's no transformation, there's no change. There's no good works pouring out of our lives. And, and what I wanna say is this, Dallas Willard coined this phrase, he says, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. That's, a, that's an interesting distinction there. Like, we gotta put some work into this by the grace of God. Like it says in Philippians 2, we gotta work out our salvation with fear and trembling as God is working in us. So if there's effort flowing from us, it's because God is working in us. See, because maybe some of us have stalled out in the process of doing good. Something has taken us off track. Here's what I wanna encourage you with. Allow God's strength to give you hope for today. Because here's the thing. You might've had a bad day yesterday, but today by the grace of God, you can live in his will and have a good day. It's always a good day when God is in it. And so don't give up. Don't let your day be defined by your works, but what God has done in his work for you. See, this is a daily work of God's grace. And it allows us to keep going even when we wanna give up. Because let's be honest, there are times when we wanna give up. One of my favorite series of movies that, that's uh, come out over the years is the movie Rocky and all 800 of them. They're amazing. Um, and the one that people don't like is Rocky V. They just don't like it. I like Rocky V. I think it was, it was okay. I could watch it. If it came on TV, I would watch it. Um, but this is Rocky and he's older in age. And so if you don't know much about Rocky, he's a boxer and eventually he got old. And so he starts training this young guy, Tommy Gunn, who uh, starts winning and Rocky just pours all of his life into this guy saying, okay, go, 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 go. And Rocky's put in this very humble position. He's not the champ anymore. And he's just pouring into this guy. And he's actually, he doesn't have any more money. So he's living in a very low end part of town in Philadelphia. Humbled in every way. And at the end of the movie, Tommy, who's been built up, he's famous now, he's a champion, but he's, he doesn't feel like he's justified until he fights Rocky, beats up his mentor. And so Rocky's walking down the street. Tommy says, hey, I'm gonna fight you. Drives up in his big limousine, gets out of his car, starts pushing Rocky around. Rocky's like, I'm not gonna fight you. And so, 
Of course he fights him. You know, Tommy throws his punch. Rocky, you know, is fighting, but he's like weak. He's dazed. He hits the ground. And he is at this point, you know, it's that scene in the movie. It's all the replay of everything that's happened in his life. And you're like, this is so inspiring. I love this. I'm going to go watch all four of them before this fifth one, because I got to remember what happened. And then Mickey, Rocky's uh, trainer, comes in his mind. And he says, uh, Rocky, Rocky, get up, you bum. Rocky, get up, you bum. He says, get up. Because Mickey loves you. And he gets up and he wins. See, it was the love that got Rocky up. It's the love of God that's going to get you up. And you're going to be put in some humbling positions in life. But the only way you can keep going is when you know that there's someone who loves you. And Jesus Christ did not just say, I love you, I love you, and put it all throughout the pages, but he says, I'm going to show you that I love you by coming down, by living, being humiliated. Philippians 2 tells us about this. It says that he was humiliated, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And so when we look at the cross, we remember that the king of the universe was humiliated. He hit the dust so that we could be raised to the skies. That's what he's done. And so our lives can now be defined by Jesus. Not by our accomplishments, not by our works, Jesus. And we can know that every day we have one that's loved us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace on our lives. We thank you that you didn't just tell us that you loved us, but you've shown it. You've shown it. And so, Lord, may we never overlook the gospel as we go out into the world every day. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.